0: Welcome to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackaby Ministries International.
1: Welcome again to the Richard Blackaby Leadership Podcast. Richard, so good of you to join us. It is always a delight to be with you, Sam. Well, oh, I love that. <laughs> uh, Richard, we love getting questions from our audience. Yeah, um, yeah from time to time. And, and this comes via Twitter. Uh, if you'd like to ask your question on Twitter, it's at Richard Blackaby. Send, send the questions that way. It comes from Alan. It's in response to the book we did on execution, the book review we did on execution. Yeah. Uh, and he says, uh, he's in a business that has several different subsidiaries. And it says, can someone from the peanut gallery help facilitate change, several levels up. Love the podcast. You're helping me grow into the person, uh, into what the
0: Lord desires me to be. Yeah, it's a great uh, question. We appreciate any feedback and questions from uh, our podcasts and our the book reviews that we do. Yeah, uh, And that's a common question. When you're way down the pecking order, way down the, the food chain, but from your vantage point, you see that there's some day-to-day issues that it seems as if management farther up just aren't aware of, or they don't care about. Uh, And that can be really demoralizing when day after day, the work you do is being hampered because management doesn't seem to want to address issues. We probably will have a whole podcast at some point on just managing your leader. If you're the, uh, the follower, technically, can you actually lead or at least influence the person who's in charge of leading you? And I think you can. I think you when when you see something, don't just resign yourself to that that's what deadens people. I think that's really what happened so much in the communist world, where things were poorly managed and you just showed up at the assembly line and did the least possible and just deadening, demoralizing work, just counting the the, the minutes until you can go home. Uh, you don't want to go to work that way. And so if you're in a place where you see there's issues, uh, I always encourage people, uh, go to go to management first and point out uh, respectfully some things that you see could be better. And I would never do it as a, just a complaint. I would I would approach them and say I really care about the products that we're building here. I really want the company to succeed and to be profitable and successful. And I've just noticed that there's some things I think that could be a lot better. And I, I I've got some ideas. And as a boss, I've never had a problem with that. I've always welcomed creative ideas. It encourages me to know that people on the shop floor are thinking about how to make the business better. Uh, they're not content just to just do whatever and, and get through the day. Uh, not every boss is going to be as responsive to that kind of request. But I'd start out assuming that they will be. And typically that may end up meaning that you're given more responsibility and and your ideas are listened to even more. Uh, I remember years ago, I was just trying to get through school and I worked uh, an evening shift at a psychiatric hospital. And I was an orderly. I was the lowest guy in the totem pole. And I got put to the worst unit uh, that that whole hospital had. It was kind of a joke really to work where I did. The the morale was low, uh, and all I had to do is put in my time. I mean I was just it was just a job to get through school. But I guess I'm just always been wired to be a leader and so I I saw how things could be better. And I actually came up with a, a plan where on Friday evenings we'd basically have a party. And what we did is we we recognized those patients that had taken the best care of their rooms and that had shown the most positive attitude during the week. And we gave out rewards and I let them stay up later. And we actually even brought in pizza for them and stuff. And, and uh, I got the, the management to let us spend some money that had never been spent before and that we'd never they'd never done that before. But uh, it was so successful. And all week long, people were buzzing about who was going to get recognized that week and so on. Uh, that it, it changed the morale of the whole place. And before long, the other units began copying. I began hearing of other units that were going to do the same thing and stealing all of our ideas. <laughs> but it, it permeated the whole hospital because one orderly said, hey, instead of just doing what we've always done and continuing to survive with this rundown unit, let's uh, change it up. Let's try to be creative. And management was delighted uh, with our ideas. And so let me just encourage you as well, uh, you may be fairly low in the management uh, chain of command, but uh, if you will come at it respectfully, creatively, don't just come and, s- and talk about a problem. Don't come and say morale's bad here. Yeah, Nobody really wants to hear that. But if you come and say, hey, I've got some ideas how we can make morale better. Well, management's always open or should be always open to a, a great idea. So uh, let me encourage you. Maybe God's put you where you are so you can be a change agent, even at that uh, level of management. And so see what you can do. Do it positively. Do it creatively. Do it problem-solvingly. And uh, it might surprise you the kind of changes that you can make in your own unit. Great. And thanks again, Alan, for your question. And yeah. uh,
1: if anyone else wants to ask questions, be sure and uh, either tweet Richard or you can email us your questions, podcast at Blackaby. .org. Even if it's uh, on one of the books that we've reviewed, even after the fact, we can sure. try and go back. Or
0: a, a podcast that really resonated with you and you'd like us to maybe tweak an answer or go a little more in-depth or clarify something. Or maybe there's just a topic you'd really like me to discuss at some point. Uh, fire that uh, to that uh, email address and we'll be glad to get that in the queue. Yeah, for sure. Well, it's that time again. It's book review. Yeah.
1: We try and do this once a month. And uh, we hope that uh, our listeners are are reading along with us. Richard, what are we we looking at today?
0: Well, I thought we'd go back to a classic (laughs) by Peter Drucker. Drucker, to me, is kind of the guru, the patron saint of leadership theory. Yes. Uh, He wrote a lot in the 50s, 60s. um, And uh, as I've shared, uh, a lot of later leadership theorists, writers draw from him it's obvious sometimes a person like Stephen Covey draw or Warren Bennis or some of these others they'll pull key phrases out of Drucker and highlight that in their own books mm-hmm. and so sometimes I like to go when you've read enough leadership books and a lot of them start to kind of sound repetitive or well, I've heard that before, or, it's interesting to kind of go back to the first person who started saying some of those things, who right. kind of mentored a bunch of the later generations. So to me, Drucker is kind of the starting point in leadership theory. Go back to him, and you, you're you at one of the original guys who really began to popularize this stuff. And so his book, The Effective Executive, uh, the definitive guide to getting the right things done, and whenever you give a definitive anything, then that has to be taken seriously. But uh, but he also distinguishes between getting things done and then getting the right things done. And yeah. that's a key distinction for him. He'll say there, there are leaders who get lots of things done, they just don't get the important things done. Hmm. And so for him, an effective executive is someone who gets the right things done. And I would say that because this book is written in really originally in about 1967, that he'll use some terms that today would not be as widely used, for instance, even the executive. hes This is definitely meant to be a leadership book for people uh, who are executives in their company. Today, he might have used the word leader, an effective leader, but uh, in his time, he's going to talk about executives. And so some of the terms you just have to kind of translate or update to modern uh, terminology, but but the principle, is yeah. is the same. So so Drucker is one of those early guys and he just has a number of quotable statements. He he says things authoritatively, not not arrogantly, but just as a guy who knows what he's talking about and you have to take his statements seriously and there's a number of statements he makes that just make you stop and make you think about it and uh I mean I like those kind of books that challenge me that way. Yeah. But there's a number of things uh, he says, and he starts off just by saying, management books usually deal with managing people. The subject of this book is managing oneself for effectiveness. Uh, that one can truly manage other people is by no means adequately proven. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, Can you really manage people? But he says, uh, but one can always manage oneself. And I think certainly when you're talking about leadership, you have to begin by talking about self-leadership do you manage yourself well? If you can't even do that, then certainly you're not going to be effective at leading others. Uh, and then he goes on and he says, effective executives get the right things done. And he'll, he'll, notice, he'll, he'll mention a number of times that ineffective managers, sometimes they're actually busier than effective managers. The ineffective ones seem to be racing from meeting to meeting, stacks of papers to go through on their desks, uh, phones ringing off the hook, and he'll su- he'll suggest that sometimes you'd see that and you think wow that's that's a guy who's getting a lot done, but actually they're not. Uh, they're they're always behind. They're constantly interrupted by secondary issues. Uh, they're putting out fires instead of proactively moving forward with the company. Uh, and so he would say effective executives are the ones who are getting the right things done. And he talks a lot about a knowledge worker which nowadays is almost becoming kind of uh, an older term now we but 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 in his day in the 60s when computers and internet were still just on the horizon and just starting to come out a lot of what he talks about is very forward thinking you you realize a lot of what he talks about he's just barely seeing the edge of it but but he's has an uncanny way of recognizing people and how they function He says several things that just make you think. Uh, For for one, he says that the results that an organization gets, he'll say all the results come from the outside, not from the inside. Makes you have to think about that for a moment. But what he would say is, for instance, if you're a company, a retail company, uh, the the inside work like staff morale, payroll, uh, inventory, uh, management, uh, you know, decorating the store, all that kind of stuff. Th- that's all inside. Personnel issues, that's all inside stuff. But he would say, that's not where the results come from. The results come from customers who are on the outside. Students, if you're in a school that you're recruiting from the outside. Yeah. The, your, your growth comes from the outside, not from the inside. So what he would say is, you, of course, you have to take care of the inside. You have to manage yourself well. But if you don't ever get focusing to the outside, that, that's like churches. Uh, you, know, you can have a, a great a potluck dinner that all the members love, but if you're not reaching the community that surrounds the church, it doesn't matter how well you're doing stuff inside the church. You're yeah. not having an impact on the outside. And so he would say that the higher up you go in, uh, in the organizational chart, the more you're, you're just naturally drawn to maintain stuff on the inside, personnel issues, conflicts, meetings, and so on. And he would say, if you're not careful, you'll be consumed with internal issues, and but it's not internal issues will not cause you to grow. Right. That that involves stuff on the outside, and so that was kind of an interesting way for him to look at that, uh, which I think every leader needs to say: Are you how much time are you spending looking to the outside and looking? F- for the growth areas, the new markets, the new possibilities and opportunities? Yeah. And are you spending all of your time just putting out fires inside the organization? Uh, and I think whether you're a church, whether you're a business, you need to be, as a leader, asking yourself, how much time am I spending with inside issues and how much am I looking at the outside in the future? He says something else. There are a couple of areas I think that Drucker is particularly Helpful with, and one is in time management. Yeah, uh, and because he certainly says that your time is your most valuable commodity. If you're a leader, your time is money. Your time is impact. And he said, uh, effective executives, in my observation, do not start with their tasks. They start with their time. And I think that's a great observation. Uh, you know, a lot of us will do like a a to do list. And yeah. We'll, well maybe in the morning we'll we'll list all the stuff that you need to get done that day. And then sometimes what we do is we just start at the top of the list and try yeah. to start checking them off. But
1: I, I like to start with
0: the easiest
1: ones yeah. so that <laughs> the, I the get the most fruit. Yeah, the most checks. Yeah.
0: So the first hour you you feel like you're making great headway. But but of course the problem with that is sometimes the things that can be done quickly and easily are not the most pressing issues. Right. And what happens is you get all the easy stuff done. And your time's gone before you get to the important stuff. And your energy's gone too. I've,
1: you know, this was a quote that really stuck out to me mm-hmm. because it's like I, I like to do that is make my list and then just go check it off. But I, I also know that I'm keenest and and sharpest in the morning. Yeah. If I don't get to the hard stuff until after lunch, I'm not going to be as effective.
0: Yeah, I, 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 well, I think that's right. And I think what what Drucker would say is that. Uh, effective executives, uh, effective leaders, they tackle the big issues, the issues that they have to personally be responsible for. And he says some things that are kind of interesting in that regard. One thing he says is that the important jobs that a leader does cannot be subdivided into 15 minute increments. Yeah. You know, I, I've used a number of time management programs and, and handbooks and various things over the years, calendars. And oftentimes they would divide your day up by 15 minutes. He would say, if you can do something in 15 minutes, you probably should delegate it. It's one of those small projects that if it only takes you 15 minutes to do, your administrative assistant or a VP or someone else could probably take care of that for you. He, he tends to say what you need to do is give your focus to the big issues. And for that, he would tend to say, put your schedule your day into nothing smaller than hour blocks so that you give an hour to various subjects. So if you're, gonna, if you're trying to look into the future, consider future markets, you can't do that in 15 minutes. Yeah. If you're going to invest in a, a, a direct report, to just take 15 minutes and pat them on the back and say you're doing a good job. That doesn't really change anything very much. I mean, it's great that you commended somebody and spread some cheer, but you're not going to really address any issues that they have in 15 minutes. So he says, put your schedule into hour blocks, and, and you may devote three hours in the morning simply to one project. Maybe all morning you're going to just uh cloister yourself away and consider the the next year and your schedule and what your priorities will be. And you know
1: that that almost at least from a a millennial perspective, that almost seems foreign. Yeah. Because we're, our our time is so uh distracted and divided because of these computers we carry around in our pocket all the time. Like it, it seems almost impossible to think that you can sit down for any length of time and focus on one, on yeah. one project. Yeah, well,
0: I think you're right. I think that the whole myth of multitasking needs to be addressed. We think that we can be doing three things at once, and in the end, you, you can't do deep, prolonged, profound, cutting-edge thinking when you've got two other issues rolling around in your head at the same time. Yeah. We'd like to be checking our computer screen while we're looking at this document, while we've got messages coming in on our, our uh, handheld and, and, and you're just distracted. You're not doing serious thought. And so he would say, turn off your cell phone, you know, get away from your computer screen and study this document, read over this report, get a pad of paper and start brainstorming with what the priorities you feel are going to have to be for next year. But, uh, and so what uh Drucker would say is if you have got a long list of tasks to do, then that's probably a sign right there that you're a poor leader, because the, the the best leaders are the ones who have a, 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 a smaller amount of things to do, but they're all the most important things. Yeah. They delegate away anything that can be delegated so that they can give their prolonged attention to the most important matters. Uh, and he would say the same thing about um, about decisions. He would say leaders decide. That's one of the most important things that a leader will do is to make a decision. But he says if, if a leader is constantly making a lot of decisions, then that's a sign of a bad leader. Because a, a good leader will delegate all the secondary tasks away to other people to do. He doesn't want someone he doesn't want all of his staff lining up outside his door. Uh, to get him to decide all the time or her to decide. I remember when I became the president of a seminary, uh, there'd been some control issues, some egos where everybody wanted to be a vice president. Everybody wanted to be manager of this or that. And so the, during the interim leader that led before I got there, he just totally flattened the organizational chart. He took away all the VPs and everybody, just pretty well flatlined to, to try to make a statement that we're all on a, the same team we're not some more important than others the problem with that was that nobody had authority to make decisions anymore except me the president and so I had people just sitting outside my door waiting to for my approval on some of the most mundane tasks and I couldn't give my attention to the really important tasks that needed to be done because I had to approve the playground structure out in the children's playground in student housing and all kinds of issues that someone else should have just taken care of. And so one of the first things I had to do was say, what decisions am I making right now that someone else could make and could make at least as well as me, maybe better than me, uh, and give all those away until finally I'm down to a handful of decisions that as the president I have to make those. It takes the top leader to agonize and work and do homework uh, to make the best decisions here. And So Drucker would say, if, you, if you're someone who makes a lot of decisions, then you've not, you've not done the hard work of delegating and training other leaders and empowering them to do their work. And so he has a, he has a great uh, comment to make about that. He, he says uh, he really believes in healthy routines. He, he says another way to maximize your time is get a routine so that you know when you, if you're going to exercise, you know that at 5.30... Your alarm will go off, and for the next hour, you'll go to the gym, or you'll go to your treadmill, and you'll exercise, and you'll be showered, and you know that by this hour, you're going to be at the office, and you know that maybe for the first uh, 40 minutes, you're going to answer and check emails and return phone calls, and then from this time, you'll meet with direct reports. Or you'll. But if you have everything kind of scheduled out of routine, you will inevitably get far more done than someone who just kind of walks into the office and starts looking to see, well, what's a fire that needs to be put out? Or who wants to see me today? Uh, he would say, get a routine where then you're proactive about how you'll spend your day instead of being reactive all day, mm-hmm. where you let other people who make phone calls, who stop by your office, determine what you're going to do in your day. He, It's interesting. He says um, that routine, he said, makes unskilled people without judgment capable of doing what it took near genius to do before. So in other words, anyone who just has a routine of getting jobs done can accomplish as much or more than someone in a previous generation could have done who was much brighter, he says, a genius even. He, he says something else, too, that's interesting, which I, I could uh, agree with. He says he, he doesn't have a high view of meetings, uh, number one, it's, he, in fact, he says, meetings are by definition a concession to deficient organization, for one either meets or one works. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> uh, now, he's not saying that you never meet, but he would say, run your meetings well. Run them with a purpose, have a goal, keep them on, on track, on focus. Meetings very easily degenerate into discussing secondary issues. They're, they're huge time wasters. And what he would say is so often they masquerade as significant work when, in fact, they're actually a a substitute for getting work done. Um, And he would say something else he says is performance reviews he thinks are done poorly. He would say by the very nature what you do in a performance review is look for what's being done wrong, uh, to look for weaknesses. And he would say what you need to do is you you need to undergird and support strengths and you need to starve weaknesses. You need to, uh, you need to not focus on the weaknesses, but enhance the strengths. And But he would say the very nature of a performance review is, oh no, I'm coming to meet with my boss and he's gonna tell me everything I'm doing wrong. He would say it's demoralizing, it's, it's, it's not freeing, enabling, it's really a very negative experience. It isn't really designed to promote growth and development in that staff person. Well,
1: let's take a quick break here. And then uh, when we come back, we'll wrap up this uh, book review.
0: Although we don't offer transcripts of the podcast, Richard writes blog posts on many of the leadership topics discussed on the show. You can find these and other resources at richardblackaby.com. All right, Richard, what else, what else do you have for us as we wrap up this review? Well, uh, Drucker's got so many different uh, statements. I love his statement, feed the opportunities and starve the problems. Hmm. Too many organizations are so focused on their problems that they don't see the possibilities. They don't give time to what the options are ahead of them, what the future holds for them. They're just trying to still deal with problems from the past. Um, He said something that's interesting. He said the assertion that somebody else will will not let me do anything should always be suspected as a cover-up for inertia Uh, and i i've certainly found that i've had uh, people that will say well i can't do my job because of whatever you know i i I couldn't get that done because someone wouldn't give me the information i needed uh and that always concerned me i i I think well we you've had a whole month since our last meeting and you didn't deal with that you couldn't someone wouldn't give you information so you just stop trying. You just waited a whole month and didn't find another solution, another source of information. Uh, Typically, when someone says, I I can't lead because someone else won't let me, what you have is a non-leader. Yeah. Because leaders find a way. Leaders solve problems. Leaders don't make excuses. Uh, If I can't get what I need from this source, I'll I'll find it from another source, or I'll leverage it and work on it until I do get what I need. But uh, non-leaders... They're, they're too easy just accept excuses why they didn't get the job done. And, and I remember at times I'd have team uh, leadership meetings, and sometimes I'd have people that all they wanted to tell me is why this was impossible. Well, we can't do that, or that we tried that before it doesn't work. I would yeah. say we're not meeting so that we can find out everything that's not possible. We're meeting so that we can discuss possibilities and explore opportunities and move forward, not to... Uh, not to just to hear everybody say, well, that can't work, that can't work. And something else he says that's interesting that I've, I actually quote in, uh, in our spiritual leadership book. He says, no one has much difficulty in getting rid of total failures. They liquidate themselves. Yesterday's successes, however, always linger on long beyond their productive life. Hmm. And I've certainly found that to be true both in businesses as well as churches uh, if something if, if you do something and it fails, you're, you're, you're pretty quick to say, okay, well, let's not do that again. We don't want right. to fail again. But he says, if you have success, boy says once you've had a success, organizations have the hardest time letting go of those. And so it, it may have been successful and maybe for the next couple of years it was successful, but it hasn't been successful in the last 10. But still, we, we still remember when that was our biggest uh, profit maker, when that is what led to the most sales, when that brought the most people into our church. And so we'll just keep on doing that instead of questioning whether it's time to, to retire that. And so, and I've often said one of the most the greatest seductions in the church is previous success. Uh, this worked for us before. So let's, if we just really work the program, it'll be successful again. When the fact is demographics have changed, times have changed, that's a dated program now that just needs to be retired so that God can give us something new. Uh, and he has, a, he has a great comment about that. He, he also says, uh, an executive who makes many decisions is both lazy and ineffectual. And I thought, again, um, that's uh, uh, just to reiterate, he, he's saying if you're making lots of decisions, that means you've been too lazy to equip other leaders, to delegate to other people, uh, it, it makes you look like you're important. And that's sometimes why leaders hold on to their, all their decisions because there, there are certain insecure leaders who are afraid that if they delegate their work, they won't have anything left to do themselves. But great leaders are future-oriented. They're possibility-oriented. And, and in most organizations, there's always possibilities out there to be explored and to be developed. But a lot of leaders never get to those because they're holding on to all the other work, the internal work, so that they can feel important and needed and busy and and they can justify their salary and their position. And so they hold on to stuff and so they, they're not able to take their organization into the future. As far as just shortcomings, with Drucker, most of the shortcomings are that he's dated. And so he'll talk about. He tends to talk more about men. You know, when he's talking about leaders in in business, or I mean, he he acknowledges that there's women too, but he's very uh, male sort of oriented because in his day, primarily the executives and companies were men at that time. So you have to kind of look past that. Uh, He'll talk about executives. He doesn't use the word leader. Uh, as often. And, uh, and, and he, does, he does make one or two statements. For instance, he says that some of the best leaders he's known have been people that stayed somewhat aloof from their people. They didn't get too close to their people so that it wasn't that they didn't care about their people, but they didn't fraternize with them. Uh, they, they didn't get on a real casual basis with them. And he, he believed that kept them more effective. Especially in some of the larger businesses that he uh, he was familiar with, I would tend to say, especially in the modern culture, I think working with millennials that are very much uh, responsive to relationships. That I don't think it's you have to be careful. You have to be uh, you know certainly uh, cautious sometimes with getting too familiar and becoming too casual, so that you can't supervise. You can't exert your authority when you need to. But there's also a lot of modern studies that would suggest that people actually perform better when they feel like their boss likes them and cares about them. And and when it's fun to work in a place, uh, people actually do better work. So that that might be just a little place where it seems to me like he's a little bit dated, maybe a little old school, that I think maybe if he were studying it today... He might revise a few of those things. Uh, Some of his examples are certainly more dated, back to uh, earlier days of AT&T and General Motors and uh, examples from Franklin Roosevelt or Harry Truman. Uh, That's fine for those examples. But, of course, Microsoft and Apple and uh, some of those companies didn't even exist then. So some of the more modern examples he's not as familiar with then, obviously, because they didn't exist. But overall, I think there's still enough value in this book uh, that uh, it's just worth the read. It's not a long uh, read. If you can just kind of understand this is somewhat dated now, there's still a lot of nuggets, I think, that are certainly worth the read. Yeah, you certainly see sort of the the foundational work of of a lot of other leadership books and that I tell you when you when you out. write something in the '60s that still is relevant. Yeah, uh, I mean that. 40, 50 years later, you realize this guy was brilliant. Yeah, and the test he, of time. He has uh, he has stood the test of time. It certainly,
1: speaks for itself. Well, thank you. And for those, uh, if if you would like to, Richard, you also wrote a, a book review about yeah. this, and and people can find that at richardblackaby.com. We'll also leave links to that in the show notes. So if you'd like to check that out in written form, feel free to do that. Also, our next book review—it's uh, going to be by Max Dupree. Hopefully, I pronounced that correctly. Uh-huh. He—he's written three books: Leadership Jazz, Leadership Is an Art, and Leading Without Power. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about why we
0: chose these? Yeah, Max is a was a very successful businessman, and uh, but he had some innovative, creative, cutting-edge Thoughts on uh, leadership, especially in the business community. I thought we'd try to take on three books. What I just recommend is that people won't even just read one of those, but uh, they're not difficult reads. And they're short. Yeah. Max yeah. Dupree is one of those guys that whenever I see something he's written, I just buy it mm-hmm. uh, because it's going to be there's going to be value there. And again, it's a little bit dated now, but uh, not not uh, significantly. And He's sort of a, a leadership philosopher in some ways. Uh, just has a different sort of take on, on thinking about leadership. And it's just a, it's one of those guys that you need to have some Dupree in your leadership library <laughs> because he, uh, he'll always make you think and add some value to your leadership as well. Well, great.
1: We'll leave links to those as well in our show notes. And until next time.
0: Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at